Omarjana Trivananda Sya Jinajana Salakaya Chakshun Militanyana Tasmashi Gurave Namaha. Good evening everyone. We'll discuss a little bit more. Srila Jiva Goswami's Bhagavat Sandarbha in last class covered the seventh Anucheda, uh, wherein uh, we were given a synopsis of what is the Brahman Sandarbha, one verse. And also we were treated to a verse that Srila Jiva Goswami himself composed, one of the few, the only one, accepting some few introductory verses and concluding verses. Uh, this is the only verse that's actually in the Satsandarbha proper that he composed. When the true nature of Bhagavan is made clearly visible, Brahman is automatically understood. Thus, Brahmasandarbha is contained within Bhagavatsandarbha. In covering this seventh Anucheda of the Bhagavatsandarbha, it was clear that Brahman is simply that indeterminate manifestation of the Supreme Absolute Truth indeterminate in that it is not attributed with any of the features and qualities of the Absolute, of the Supreme Absolute. That's the nature of Brahman, indescribable. Words cannot speak of it because it's too deep to be understood. The only sound vibrations that can approach it are those of the Upanishads, which are themselves self-illuminating. That indeterminate period of self-realization of Brahman is also there for the bhakta. And the nice example was given of Sri Narada Muni entering the assembly at Dwarka. That first he appeared as an effulgence, just an effulgence far off in the distance. So that indeterminate stage is also there within the material realm, as was made evident last week, that there is an indeterminate stage before pratyaksha, before we actually perceive anything, there is an indeterminate stage where we know there's something there, but the, but the mind hasn't yet wrapped itself around what it is. So that brief half of a moment before, oh, it's a table, it's a chair, it's a girl, it's a boy, it's a, it's a dinosaur. Before we actually decide what something is, there is that period where we know there's something. That's there in the material realm. And then also in the spiritual realm, we're discussing different visions of the Supreme Absolute. Truths, Brahmati, Paramatmati, Bhagavaniti, Sabjate. So we'll continue this evening with Anucheta 8. Devotion is the means to Bhagavan realization. This is a small Anucheta, and I think if you think about even the title, you'll quickly come to the verse that's going to tell us what that means is. It's the verse right after the Vedanta Tat verse. Uh, Jiva says in his Sandarbha, 
Now we will discuss the qualifications for the self-manifestation of Bhagavan. Sri Sutta Goswami said. So that's interesting wording, isn't it? Now we'll discuss the qualifications for the self-manifestation. It seems to be a contradiction in terms. The self-manifestation, what qualification could I have for the self-manifestation of the Supreme Absolute? He's going to manifest himself. He's completely independent. What part do I play in this this whole uh, matter of of self-realization? Either he's going to manifest himself to me or he isn't. But if we qualify ourselves, what we're going to come to find is the Supreme Absolute Truth is anxious on the other end to self-manifest. The verse from the Bhagavatam, it's the first verse of Srila Vyasadeva's revelation from the seventh chapter. Bhakti-yogena manasi samyak pranihite male apasyat purusham purnam mayam tad chatad apasrayam. In his pure heart, which was established in perfect fixity through the yoga of unalloyed devotion, he, the os, saw the original complete person, Purna Purusha, along with his external energy, Maya, which is apart from, yet supported by him. Bhakti Yogena Manasi. So Bhakti Yogena is the absolute necessity in the realization of the Supreme Person Bhagavan. Bhakti Yogena. Without Bhakti, you're never going to come to a realization of the Supreme Absolute Truth in any of his aspects. Brahman, Paramatma, or Bhagavan. There has to be Bhakti. Even for the Brahmavadi, there has to be Bhakti. There is a distinction here in the Bhakti that's being spoken of in relationship to Srila Vyasa's revelation. It's Amala Bhakti, pure Bhakti. Whereas that Bhakti that's utilized by the Brahmavadi to realize Brahman cannot be classified as amala or spotless, no tinge of any desire except bhakti itself. So that's the position. This amala bhakti, this is what's being spoken of and this is how one can realize Bhagavan, which is what's being spoken of in this Anucheda. Why don't we refer to the bhakti that's performed by the Brahmavadi as amala? Because naturally, when we look at bhakta, there has to be the object of affection and the affectionate service. So that object of affection from the Brahmavadi is a conception of Brahman that he carries. He's carrying a conception of Brahman as a personal manifestation in a personal manifestation, he's worshipping, but he's truly worshipping Brahman. That's his object. So his his conception is not amala, it's not pure, it's not the full, all-encompassing, supreme, absolute truth as the bhakta worships. So the next Anucheda, Anucheda 9, 
Bhagavan manifests according to the mood of his devotee. So this is stated by Sri Brahma. Srila Jiva Goswami uses a, uh, a verse from the Bhagavatam from third canto, spoken by Brahma. O Master, you take your seat in the lotus heart that has been made worthy of you through love, praying. Even so, the way to reach you can be understood through hearing. Out of kindness toward your devotees, O Lord, you are greatly glorified. You take the very form that they meditate on, appearing to them in that form. This prayer of Brahma, where he's explaining what actually is happening for the bhakta, has been spoken after after he's had darshan of the Lord. So if we look back at that, that whole sequence, Lord Brahma, he's, he's born on a lotus, and in taking birth, he recognizes the seed of his birth. I'm on a lotus. That's his only perception. That's all that he's perceiving. I'm here on a lotus. So he does some exploration, goes on an expedition, and he checks out the lotus. There's nothing else but the lotus. He can't even, in his exploration, determine what the source of the lotus itself is. So he returns to his seat. (laughs) What am I to do? What's going on? What's my purpose? I'm here on a lotus in the middle of a wilderness of darkness and I don't know where. Imagine his level of intelligence. He's the most intelligent. He's had, he's had lifetimes of being perfect, being a perfect human being. He's the most qualified to perform this service and this is his birth. You can see it could be kind of bewildering. What am I, where did I come from? What am I doing here? All the, all the Upanishads are, are streaming through his mind. What's my purpose? At that time, he hears a voice in the sky. Tapa, twice, tapa, tapa. He does that. He sits there and he meditates. And he meditates for, what is it, 1,000 celestial years. A long, long time. Just like Srila Vyasadeva, instructed by Narada, there was some fruit to that tapasya, to that meditation. The fruit for Vyasadeva is he has a re- had a revelation. And Brahma also had his own revelation. He understood his purpose just as Shudaviyasadev understood why he didn't feel his purpose in writing the Vedas was completely fulfilled. It came to him in revelation. I did not speak enough about. He was told by Narada, you didn't speak enough about. He had to enter into samadhi to 
experience the Supreme Lord and to experience what exactly is the nature of material existence, what the significance of presenting the Veda in a way that it could be fully utilized for revelation of the Supreme Absolute Personality, this came by his deep thought in Samadhi. And the result of the thought was the purpose of spiritual life. We all desire to become fully self-realized. And that realization comes through the purification of the heart, in the pure heart. What's the means? In the last Anucheta it's mentioned. Krishna manifests in the pure heart. Here we see again Brahma engaged in some tapasya, a long tapasya. It's a long time to, to sit in meditation. But what was the result? The result was he understood his purpose and Krishna himself was so satisfied with his understanding that he revealed to him himself and his whole transcendental residence, Vaikuntha, revealed it all. So he's speaking of that now. He's praying to Krishna. He's saying, you take your seat. You reveal yourself as you're revealing yourself to me now, both personally and your transcendental abode. You do that in the lotus heart that one who's worthy for search of revelation through praying, through pure love, through pure devotion. Even so, the way to reach you can be understood through hearing. You can hear about this methodology and you can understand the sadhana necessary for the revelation simply by hearing. He's telling Krishna, as I meditated on you, you appeared according to my meditation. So similarly, others who hear about you will form a desire to see you according to that desire that they developed by hearing, you will manifest yourself before them. Bhakti has to be there first before there's the revelation. Before you actually see Bhagavan Sri Krishna, you have to engage in bhakti. You start with sadhana bhakti, and you hear. Hearing cleanses the heart, and it matures into bhava bhakti, and it bears fruit in prema bhakti. So it all begins with the hearing during the stage of sadhana bhakti. Bhagavan is completely independent. Bhakti is completely independent too. But Bhagavan is completely independent. That's Swarat. Completely independent. But by his own sweet will, it's his nature, his Kripa Shakti, his merciful nature. By his will, he's controlled by loving devotion. So when the devotee engages in sadhana, and the heart is purified, bhava bhakti comes, and with fruits of that bhava mature into prema, 
Krishna does manifest himself. Although he's completely uncontrollable, he is controlled by bhakti. That's the nature of the Supreme. He holds all contradictory qualities. So we say God is not controlled, and then we say God is controlled by bhakti. That's the Supreme. He can accommodate all contradictory items. Krishna speaks of being controlled by his devotee. When he spoke to Durvas Muni, Durvas Muni was a little upset with a bhakta of Krishna, uh, Maharaj Ambarish. He had to come to his senses regarding that. Bhagavan spoke to him as he was traveling around trying to save his uh, self from the Sudarsan Chakra of the Supreme. As a chaste woman brings her gentle husband under control by service, pure devotees who are equal to everyone and completely bound to me in the core of their heart bring me under their full control. He also spoke something similar to Uddhava. I, who am the supreme eminent self, Paramatma, and the most beloved of all, Priya, am attainable for those established in truth only through unalloyed devotion undertaken with full faith. Moreover, Bhakti performed with exclusive fixity upon me purifies even the outcast dog eater. But there's a little qualification here. The qualification is in the hearing. So when we say that, as in the verse Brahma spoke, appearing to them in that form, in that form that they meditate upon, it's important to understand that that form is a form that they've heard of. They've qualified themselves to have that form of the Lord take residence in their heart because they've heard properly. So it's not that the Lord will take any form that you could imagine or hallucinate or dream about as God. Shutaksita patha, seen through the year. He takes up the form as seen by the devotee through the ear, through the proper hearing. From what? Reliable sources. Valid evidences. And for the devotee, what are those valid evidences? Guru, Sadhu, and Shastra. They conjointly provide a vision, a darshan of the Lord according to the appropriate school of thought, Sampradaya, that the devotee becomes enamored with. From hearing, it captures the devotee's heart and he engages in what? Sadhana, leading to bhava, maturing in praying. So he doesn't appear in any form that we may imagine. It's not an imagination. But we meditate on a form that's depicted in Scripture and explained to by the realized beings.
people who have themselves had revelation. Again, back to Jiva's basic premise of what is valid praman. It's based upon revelation. You're not going to be able to tell anyone about the supreme absolute truth unless you've experienced. That's why Srila Rupa Goswami in his Upadeshamrita in recomm- giving recommendation to the new devotee, the Kanista, as to where to take initiation, take initiation from someone who's what? An Uttama Bhakta. He has realized the truth. Krishna says the same thing in Bhagavad Gita. Tadvidi pranipate na pariprasne na sevaya upadakshanti te janam janinas tatva darshina. He's seen the truth. Well, there is a seeing through the ear, as we've discussed, but there's also a complete seeing, which means that's the revelation that we're speaking of here. Can one who's simply seen through the ear give you some good guidance? Yes. But as Bhaktivedanta says in his commentary on that verse in the Upadesha Amrita, he says, you can take initiation from someone who is not an Uttama Anakari, but you may struggle under their insufficient guidance. So the Kanista and the Madhyam can also give guidance and accept disciples, but there is the likelihood and certainly the necessity to complete the course that you are going to need the good guidance of an Uttama Adhikari. You can advance up to the point of your teacher. Shruteksita patha, seen through the ear, as we see through the ear of Guru, Sadhu, and Shastra, we develop the conception of the Supreme Absolute, which is authorized. And that authorized form of the Lord is the form that appears to the devotee in Revelation. Going on to Anacheta 10. Now this is a very long Anacheta. What we're going to look at in this Anacheta is, now I've told you the qualification, so what's the revelation? What are you going to experience? In order to give us a glimpse through our ear of what that revelation might be like, Srila Jiva Goswami utilizes the explanation of the revelation that Brahma was giving at the beginning of the creation. So we've just discussed Brahma was given a vision of the spiritual realm. The vision was there for one purpose. Krishna was very satisfied with it. He got it. I said tapa, and he took to it. This whole revelation will talk about what he displayed to Brahma. Imagine now Brahma seeing. Now the lights come on. The universe is lit up with the effulgence of the Supreme Lord and a vision of the transcendental realm. Not only did Krishna reveal himself, he revealed himself in full. 
He showed, here I am, here's where I live, here's who I hang out with, I'm going to show you the whole thing. He shows him the whole thing. At the end, he shakes his hand. You got it. You're there. Now, make yourself a universe. But don't let pride stand in the way of your work. I've shown you my universe so that you can't be proud of the one you're about to make. <laughs> you have some material elements, earth, water, fire, air, ether, mind, intelligence, false ego. You're going to create bodies. You're going to have a lot of assistance. But don't become proud. This is my transcendental realm. What Jiva Goswami is going to quote here is ten and a half verses from the second canto of the Srimad Bhagavatam. And it's basically that vision that Brahma was shown in order to highlight what is the result that we can expect by engaging in proper hearing. So Jiva says, Sri Brahma's vision of Swayam Bhagavan in Vaikuntha is described in the following ten and a half verses. Sri Bhagavan, being highly satisfied with the penance of Brahma, was pleased to reveal to him his personal abode, Vaikuntha, the supreme planet above all others. This transcendental abode of Bhagavan is free of all kinds of affliction, delusion, and fear. It is adored by self-realized beings. There is a lot of tattva in this section to point out for us, the student, what are the distinguishing factors between our environment and that environment so that we can understand more fully the environment we're in and its characteristics, and that environment, which is free of those characteristics that in this environment create so much difficulty for us. That Vaikuntha is part of the Lord's internal potency, Swarup Shakti. It is his very own form, name, form, qualities, pastimes, because it's fully conscious that is the Swarup Shakti. We'll go on to here. There's no avidya. There's no inertness. Everything there is full of the Lord's energy. Of course, it's free of Maya's influence. As explained in the, in the verse, free of all affliction, delusion, and fear. And adored by self-realized beings. When we say free of affliction... What does that terminology mean? Sanklesha, free of affliction. It has no kleshas. The first klesha is ignorance. Five kleshas. Now remember, also, what's Jiva Goswami say about the practice of sadhana bhakti? The preliminary stage. The first stage, devotional service and practice, yields two results. Kleshagna and... Subhada. These five kleshas, they begin to dissipate at the very beginning of our devotional practice. And Subhada, we become joyful. Wow, to get the shackles off of us. So the first shackle is ignorance, avidya. 
What's the result of avidya? Misidentification. The second klesha? Asmita. False ego. Thinking that we're something we're not. That can be subtle or gross. Desire. That misidentification brings about a desire for something that we aren't. For enjoying something that is not going to give us enjoyment. Raga. And also aversion. We like it and then we don't. It's good, it's pleasurable, and then all of a sudden it becomes miserable. Like the body. The young body is very happy, very stout, enjoying, exploring the world. Then guess what? (laughs) Yeah, we come to the other end of the body. Raga, we're attracted, we're attached, we have some attraction for enjoyment and some aversion, dwesha. It's the tendency for bodily consciousness. Abhinivesha. Abhinivesha. Ignorance. False ego. Attachment, aversion, and bodily consciousness. Which leads to what? Fear of death. That's the primary result of bodily consciousness. Well, I don't want to give it up. It's old. It's not serving me very well anymore, but it's the best thing I got going, so I'll hang on to it till the bitter end. Keep it wrapped together. Pull a few more years out of it. Put in new eyes. Get a new ear or a mechanical one. And so many things are there. Delusion is comes to us through these five kleshas. So when we're speaking of Vaikuntha, these things are not there. Because all this avidya and aversion and attachment, bodily consciousness, false ego, this is all coming due to material nature. Vaikuntha is free of all this. A couple verses to reinforce what was just said. Maharaj Yudhisthira's statement from the Mahabharata. Everyday people die all around me, thus attaining the abode of Yamaraj, Lord of Death. Yet those who remain here wish to live forever. What could be more amazing than this? What could be more amazing than this? That we see every single thing around us dying. Everything. And we want to live forever. We truly are in such illusion of vidya that we think it's not going to happen to me. The materialist actually thinks that way. They don't think they themselves are going to die. They may know they're going to die, but they don't think about it in a deep way. Some other time, yes, I'll grow old and die, but even when they get old and near death and they're on their deathbed, they're they're not thinking they're going to die. Krishna speaks in the Bhagavad Gita of the items constituting 
the misconception of material existence. And he speaks of them in relationship to the field of activity. So when we talk about the material field, as opposed to what? Vaikuntha, the Vaikuntha field. Krishna says the five great elements, egoism, the intellect, the unmanifest, the ten senses, the mind, the five sense objects, desire, aversion, happiness, distress, the body, consciousness, and patience. These are, in brief, the field of activities along with their interactions. All this misidentification created by ignorance creates what's referred to as a knot in the heart. The heart can't be fully open to spiritual knowledge because of this ignorance, except through hearing it. So that's mentioned in the second chapter of the first canto of Bhagavatam. Thus the knot in the heart is pierced and all misgivings are cut to pieces. Just by this hearing, just by hearing, that's how powerful hearing is, that the knot of ignorance and all these kleshas, just by hearing, can be dissipated. The knot can be cut. The chain of fruit of actions is terminated when one sees the self as master. Going on. So we come to the next verse, Brahma's verse, second canto, ninth chapter, tenth verse. In that personal abode of Bhagavan, the material gunas of Thomas and Rajas do not exist, nor does sattva, in which there is an admixture of these. Nor is there any influence of time, what to speak of Maya. The residents there are worshipable by both devas and asuras. This statement, the gunas of Rajas and Thomas do not exist there, nor does sattva exist there. Material sattva. But there is a sattva there. It's referred to as sudasattva. It's pure conscious being. Again, everything in the transcendental realm is conscious. It is pure consciousness. And it's, again, the Lord's internal potency, Swarup Shakti. So that is the guna of Vaikuntha, Sudasattva. From the Narada Pancharatra, another verse speaking of the quality of that Vaikuntha atmosphere. That region known as Vaikuntha is endowed with six divine qualities and is free from the three gunas of material nature. It is unattainable by non-devotees. So we know that Prakriti, the material energy, Prakriti is it's a mixture of goodness, passion, and ignorance. And we'll not find in material nature any one of these three qualities, any one of them, without the other two. There's not pure pure Thomas, pure ignorance, there's not pure passion, and there's also not pure goodness. 
It's always a mixture. Jiva is stressing that in this Anucheta to understand the distinction between the nature of Vaikuntha and the nature of our environment here. We need to understand clearly that nature is Sudasattva. There's no inertia, there's no passion. Whereas in the material realm, everything is a mixture of these three. And these three come into existence from an equalized state, which we refer to as Pradhan. Time is that factor, that energy of the Supreme, which agitates that equalized state of the modes of material nature and brings about the manifestation of the distinction of these three gunas. When there's no manifestation of a material creation, everything is in a state of equilibrium. And Prakriti, at that time, is referred to as Pradhan. Then, once the manifestation comes, the modes of material nature are agitated, and that agitated influence of the modes of nature permeates everything in material existence with either goodness, passion, ignorance. Sometimes the word guna is referred to as an attribute, but it's pointed out that here, when we're speaking of guna, or the modes of material nature, we're speaking of it as a constituent of prakriti, of the active material energy. Again, just to highlight the fact that material nature is an ongoing process of manifestation and dissolution. So in the dissolved state, there's that equilibrium. That does not exist in Vaikuntha. There's no cycle of manifestation and unmanifestation in that realm. Everything is pure consciousness. There's not an end to the pure consciousness which constitutes Vaikuntha. Just a little mention of also what's not in Vaikuntha is the transformations that are there for everything within the material realm. Six transformations. Birth, subsistence, offspring, byproducts, changing, dwindling, and finally annihilation. These are just impetuses to aspire to that Vaikuntha atmosphere. It's Sudasattva. Sudasattva means there's no admixture of anything but, but sattva, pure goodness. The more we can eliminate the tamas and the rajas, the closer we're getting to the goal. And then Krishna will top it off. He will allow us to enter into that sudasattva atmosphere. When in the verse it says it's worshipable by, both by devas and by asuras, so that, that realm is worshipable. Those quality of deathlessness and not going through the changes, 
that's appreciated by both those that are in goodness and those that are in passion and ignorance. Are there any questions? Uh, what was Brahma meditating on? Was Papa? Well, understand, all those impressions come with us. Mm-hmm. Pronouncements, tapa, tapa, were enough to initiate in him a samskara that he had received regarding the significance of performing penance. And that in and of itself was enough. So it's a high birth. It's the highest birth in a universe, that of a Brahma. So it comes with a full 100 lifetimes of perfection in everything that, that's done. Those are some pretty deep samskaras, which would lead to some meaningful revelations coming from a meditation. Any other questions? Thank you so much for your association. Bunch of culpa do this job. Keep us in the beach.